0: Beloved, I am writing you no new commandment, but an old commandment that you've had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. At the same time, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away, and the true light is already shining. Whoever says that he is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light. And in him there is no cause for stumbling. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he is going, because the darkness has blinded his eyes. This is the word of the Lord.
1: Well, thank you for being here again today. We are in the middle of this series in First John. The the name of this series is Life and Light, because those are two of the big themes you see throughout the letter. And um so Here's one of the things I thought about this week as I was thinking about first John. Every uh good product that people really want or that there's a high demand for eventually is going to get counterfeited, right? Everything that's really really good gets counterfeited. Help me out. What is something you can think of that is a very desirable thing that has been counterfeited? Money. Yeah, that's a good one. Cash gets counterfeited. What else? What's that? Art, yes, art can be counterfeited. Yes, anything else? Shoes. I probably have some pleather shoes right now that I think are leather. Yeah, Earrings, jewelry, diamonds can be counterfeited. Memorabilia can be counterfeited. Autographs can be counterfeited. And on and on and on. Thank you for your help. Those are all good examples. Well, here's the thing. Very early on in the life of the church... Just a few decades really, after Jesus had ascended into heaven, Christianity began to get counterfeited um, that 's what 's happening in these churches that John is writing these letters this, this letter to These uh, ancient churches were questioning whether they really knew God or not and this morning in these verses, John helps us know whether we really know. He helps us know whether we really know God. He helps us to distinguish in our own lives first, but also in the lives of others, between genuine Christianity and between counterfeit Christianity. And the Holy Spirit, who speaks to us through the scripture, wants us to consider this for our own lives today, guys. Are we the real deal? Is our faith genuine? That's a question for you to think about. And he also wants us to grow in discernment and wisdom as we encounter various teachings and various people who claim to be followers of Jesus. How can you know? You know. That's what we're going to see today. So far in 1 John, we've learned that there was a group of false teachers in these early churches that John wrote to who had led people in these churches away from the truth, we saw in chapter 1, at the very least, they claimed to have fellowship with God, but John says they continue to walk in the darkness. And they also claimed to be without sin. They refused to confess their sin, we saw in chapter 1, verse 9. And as a result of all this false teaching and the people that have left the churches, that the churches were confused and the churches were fragmented. And so John, who is the last living apostle, he was Jesus's best friend. All the other disciples have long since been martyred for their faith. John is probably 90 years old. At the very end of his life, he writes this letter to help these churches, to help these Christians that he calls my little children. And what John wants to do is clarify the truth. He wants to clarify for them and for us the real way of Jesus. And so if you look in verse 3, it's very interesting what John says. He says, by this, we know that we have come to know him. By this, we know that we have come to know him. In other words, there are ways for every single one of you to tell if you're truly saved, if you're really a believer, if you're really going to go to heaven. There's a million ways to say it, right? In a word, what John is writing about is assurance. That's the doctrine that we're thinking about here, assurance of salvation. It is possible, John says, to be completely confident that you are a believer. It is possible to be assured. And when you are assured, your life in Jesus is vitalized and renewed and strengthened. Look with me again at the text. You'll notice... Three times in those verses that Tisa read, John writes, whoever says, look, verse 4, verse 6, and verse 9. Each time he writes that, whoever says, what he's doing is giving a voice to those who have left the churches, to these false teachers who have divided and hurt the churches. And John is building his case here for why Christians should stay, why we should stick with Jesus and why we should stick with Jesus' people. And he's building the case this morning by exposing the false teaching and the false practices of those who have left. So what we're going to do today is look at two ways you can know that you know God. Two ways, two pieces of evidence, perhaps, that faith is genuine, not counterfeit. And again, the point is to provide assurance. The first piece of evidence is seen in the first two of those whoever says phrases, which are basically making the same point. The first piece is you can know you know God if you obey him. And the second piece of evidence is verse 7 through 11. You know you know God if you love one another. So those are the two points today. First, you can know you know God if you obey him. And second, you can know you know God if you love. So let's look at that first point then. You can know you know God if you obey him. Look in verse 3. John immediately assures us, as I just said, that it is possible to know that you really know. By this, we know that we've come to know him. Now, think about this with me for a second, okay? Of course, what John means when he uses the word know is maybe not what we initially think of when we hear that word because we tend to intellectualize the idea of knowing someone or knowing something. And I think that's partly a result of our enlightenment, rationalistic world. But in the Bible, to know someone or to know something is much more than just intellectual knowledge, okay? It's much more than mental assent. It is a deeply engaged and intimate word. Remember all the way in the beginning of the Bible, if you don't know this story, Adam and Eve, first two people, they fall into sin, but God is gracious to them and allows them to continue to live. And, and we read at the very end of Genesis 3, Adam knew Eve. And what happened next? Abel shows up. All of a sudden there's a kid. The way the Old Testament speaks about knowing can even refer to intercourse, to sex. It's it's that significant of a word. The word is about being intimate and deeply engaged with someone or something. It's much more than intellectual assent only. So John's saying it's possible for you to have assurance that you're really connected that you really have fellowship with, that you deeply know God. How? Look in the text. The first test is clear. Verse 3, by this we know we've come to know him if we keep his commandments. Obedience. Obedience is the first mark of true knowledge, of genuine connection to God. He continues in verse 4, whoever says, I know him, God, but does not keep his commandments is a liar, and the truth is not in him. Now, Of course, John does not mean that only those who. And it got quiet in here. AC just went off. Okay. Whoever. John doesn't mean that only those who keep his commandments perfectly know God. It kind of comes across that way on first reading. But of course, he doesn't mean that. He just said in a couple of verses prior that anyone who doesn't confess and acknowledge his or her sin is a liar. So he doesn't mean that you have to keep the commandments perfectly to genuinely know God. What he means is that those who truly know God will be characterized not by disobedience, but by obedience. There will be a trajectory, a pattern of obedience in your life if you really know God. And that pattern will be evident both to you and to other people. I talked about this in the CE class a couple of weeks ago that I, I was teaching. But a couple of weeks ago, a, a guy who writes for a sports and pop culture website called The Ringer, whose name is Jonathan Sharks, who's actually from Dallas, uh, passed away after a fight with a really, really rare form of cancer. And uh, Jonathan Sharks was in his mid thirties and left a young son behind. Very, very, very sad. But the point I, I want to make is that Sharks was uh, someone who had become convert a convert to Christianity. In his late 20s. And he's very open about that in his writings and in the podcasts he was on, which I often would listen to to learn about the NBA or whatever. He was an NBA writer. And um, the culture in which he works, the ringer, is very secularized, very rare to be a Christian in that kind of world. But after Charks died... Um, The Ringer staff, other people that had written about basketball and worked closely with him, uh, did a couple of podcasts. And in both of those podcasts, all these non-Christian people were talking about his life. And the way they eulogized him was really, really powerful. It was really profound. And frankly, it was pretty convicting. His evident and discernible faith was something that they said was very, very compelling to them. They knew, based on his life, that he was one of God's people. There was a pattern, there was a trajectory that was discernible to everyone around him that he loves Jesus because he was willing to obey Jesus. The first way to know you know is if you obey. Now, we can fall off the horse on both sides here, okay? I don't want you to fall off the horse on either side. Some of you fall off the horse this way. You're thinking right now, oh, thank God Luke said it doesn't mean perfect obedience. I don't have to be perfect. (laughs) Uh, So my current lifestyle and my current trajectory is fine. That's what you're thinking right now. And, And I want you to be careful if that's what you're thinking, because it's likely that your tendency is towards laziness. The Holy Spirit says to us through these verses that if you are not growing in obedience to God's commands in a way that is discernible and evident to others, you probably don't really know God. But, but, so don't think I'm fine and do no work to obey Jesus. But, but, others of you are falling off the horse the other way. You're thinking, I have so much disobedience that I can never meet this standard. Your struggle is not with laziness. Your struggle is with a lack of confidence. Again, I'll say to you, be careful. John is not saying that you have to defeat all your sin tomorrow. He is saying that there should be a trajectory of obedience in your life. So don't think, oh, I'm doomed as you hear this. Just trust in the Lord and seek to walk in the light. We can know that we know if we are living in obedience. And one other thing I want to point out here. Look at verse 5. John writes, whoever keeps his word, in him truly the love of God is perfected. By this we may be sure that we are in him. Now there's a question over what that phrase, the love of God, refers to. Is this a reference to God's love for us that's being perfected? Or is this a reference to our love for God? That's being perfected. Does that make sense? The question is, which is being perfected as Christians obey God's love for us or our love for God? I think almost certainly the best interpretation is that this refers to our love for God that is being perfected. And here's the point I want to make as you walk in the light and as you seek to obey Jesus, here's what happens. Your love for God will grow. Your love for God will mature. In other words, to put it very straightforwardly, obedience is formative obedience is formative. How do you love God more? How do you love God more? You know, we often think we can love God more if we work ourselves into an emotional fervor spiritually. Maybe you're listening to worship music or maybe you're praying and you just want to feel it. That's the way we'll often describe this. Some others of us might think we can love God more simply by learning more about God. That's very common in our theological circles. But what John says is that you love God more by obeying him more. And that is not legalism. John says, obey God you have the power of the Holy Spirit to say no to sin and to walk in obedience. And the way it works is that as you obey him, your love for him increases. It's much like exercise, is it not? How many of you have started exercising again after a long pause? That's like me, like every three months I start again, right? And it's horrible, isn't it? When you start again, when you're out of practice, whether it's cardio or whether it's weight training, the more you exercise, the easier the workouts become, and also the more enjoyable they become. Your body and your heart and your lungs are, to use John's language, they're perfected, so to speak, through the formative and consistent practice of exercise routines. That's the idea here. John's saying this, friends. None of us, none of us is ever sitting in neutral spiritually. There's no such thing as spiritually neutral lives. We are either being formed into false loves through disobedience or formed into deeper love of God through obedience. So these tests of assurance can be good diagnostic questions for you. I mean, ask yourself, my friends, if you don't have any spiritual vitality, if you don't feel close to God, ask yourself, am I doing things that violate my conscience? Am I hiding my sin? Instead of obediently confessing it, those are the kinds of questions that reveal whether you're obeying, whether you're walking in the light. That's the first way you can know that you know. The second way you can know that you know, John writes about beginning in verse 7. The first is obedience. The second is also, I think, very clear. You can know you know God if you love one another. Look in verse 9. Whoever says... He is in the light and hates his brother is still in darkness. Whoever loves his brother abides in the light and in him there is no cause for stumbling. So if you love your brothers or sisters, that's a reference to Christians, to other Christians, you are in the light. If you hate them, you're in the darkness. And then John tells us, verse 7, this isn't a new commandment, but it's an old commandment. And then he's like, actually, it is a new commandment. What is that confusing? John's 90. Give him a break, right? It's a 90-year-old man. I think he's saying, you know, on the one hand, this is like an old new commandment. It's an old commandment in the sense of all of God's law that he gave the people of Israel. The whole Old Testament can be summarized as love God and love your neighbor. But it's a new commandment in the sense that Jesus Christ himself re emphasized and reinstituted this commandment in John's gospel on Monday, Thursday of Holy Week, right before Jesus died, the day before, in John 13, Jesus said, A new commandment I give to you. Remember what it was? Anybody? Love one another. Love one another. And then. What he did is he got down on his hands and his knees and and he demonstrated the radical nature of love towards his disciples, all 12 of them, Judas included, by the way, by washing their feet as a humble servant. It really is that straightforward. Do you want assurance of salvation? Look at how you love. Look at how you love your fellow believers. One of my favorite things to do as a pastor is um, get to speak. Really, with all of you, but specifically with our children in our church about what it means to be a Christian. When our children are ready to come to the table and make their profession in Jesus, I I will ask them to tell me about the gospel. And it's such a beautiful, joyful thing for me to hear. And then I'll almost always ask them, you kids probably remember this, what are some of the ways you can grow in your faith if you're going to claim to follow Jesus? And they'll say things like, I can pray, I can read my Bible, which is great, but they'll almost always say something like, I can love my brother or sister. I can obey my mom. I can be respectful towards my dad. The kids get it. A life of ongoing and persistent sacrificial love for the people sitting around you right now in this church is a sign that you really know God. It's a way you can know that you know. So, are you loving? Are you abiding in the light? What opportunities did you have this week to love your brothers and sisters? Did you love your wife this week by helping with all the house duties, even when you've worked all day? Did you love your husband this week by encouraging and affirming him when you see his frustration? When your roommate had a long night of studying or working, did you clean her room? Did you make him a meal? When you see your friends struggling With a bad attitude or a persistent habit that's harming them, do you have the courage to speak the truth in love? When you know someone in this church is sad or worried or afraid, did you call them or text them a note of encouragement or did you pray for them? When your kids, when you kids, when you kids do or say something hurtful or rude to your siblings, do you love them by saying you're sorry and meaning it? Do you love by giving people the benefit of the doubt? Do you love by restraining your tongue from lashing out? Do you love by going to help a friend with a project? There are an infinite number of opportunities in our lives to work out faith through love. That's a way we know we know. And it works the same as obedience. The more you live a life of love, the more your love for God is perfected. If that's true, though, The converse is also true, and that's what John's getting at in verse 11. Look in 11 again. But, so he's just said, if you love, you walk in the light. But whoever hates his brother is in the darkness and walks in the darkness and does not know where he or she is going because the darkness has blinded his eyes. Just as love forms us into further love and light, hate forms us into further darkness and confusion. I heard a story this week, um, some of you might have heard this story, about a, a woman, I think her name was Jerry L- Jerry Lahum, I'll call her Jerry, and Jerry decided she was going to transverse the Appalachian Trail, that is start at the bottom in, I think, northern Georgia, and walk the entire hike, the entire Appalachian Trail, and one evening, she had been hiking for some time, As she was finishing up her day's hike, she wandered off the trail in the dark, to go to the restroom, and she got lost. And she had her gear with her, but as she tried to find her way back to the path, she got confused, and with every decision she would make, even if the decision was a firm one, to go in a particular direction, she grew more disoriented and got more and more lost. And Jerry wandered in the wilderness aimlessly, for 26 days. For 26 days. And authorities eventually found her dead in the woods in her tent. And get this, her campsite was only 60 yards away from a clearing when they found her. And a 30-minute walk from a logging road with regular traffic. But in the darkness of the woods, she never figured out where she should go. The longer we walk in the darkness, the less of a grip we have on what is real. The longer we walk in the darkness, the less of a grip we have on what is true. The longer we live in hate, the more malformed we become. Why? John tells us. Because the darkness has blinded his eyes. So now would be a good time. Now would be a good time for every single one of us to come to the light, to come to Jesus through repentance and faith. Don't wander in the darkness. Don't remain in hate. Don't remain unreconciled. Don't remain unrepentant. Don't refuse to confess. Don't think you can hide. The darkness will blind your eyes. This only leads to death. But there is life available right now in Jesus. So what is it for you, my friends? Do you see these evidences in your life? Are you on the trajectory of obedience to God? And is that forming you into deeper love for God? Are you seeking to love the people around you right now, your brothers and sisters? And is that keeping you in the light? Those are very important questions. That's how you can know if your faith is genuine or counterfeit, and it's also, frankly, how you can know if someone else's faith is genuine or counterfeit. And I find it interesting, as we wrap up, that John grounds he grounds these ways to know that you know, these pieces of evidence, of assurance. He grounds them in the great story that John himself had been a part of, that had changed everything for him. What do I mean? Look with me again at verse eight. John says there, it is a new commandment that I'm writing to you. Now listen, which is true in him, Jesus, and in you, Christian, because the darkness is passing away and the true light, notice the tense here, is already shining. The true light is already shining. What is that? John tells us exactly what that is in his gospel. When he remembers Jesus saying, and he wrote it down, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness, but will have the light of life. John grounds everything he says about assurance in the reality that Jesus has come and has shown his light and life in our world. Jesus came and showed us the true way to God by living a life of servant love. And then, for a time, the light was extinguished as Jesus was crucified and buried for sin. But in his resurrection, just as the sun was rising on Easter Sunday morning, the light of the world shone brighter than ever. And because, John says, of what Christ has done, the darkness is already passing. The evil one has already been defeated Christ has already conquered sin and death. Christ's own death defeats the power of death, and Christ's own resurrection ensures the resurrection of all who will come to him. John tells us that this is true in him and in you. That is, if you are connected to Jesus Christ in faith, you can be assured that he will keep you in the light because he's empowered you to obey him. He's empowered you to love others. You're in him, John says, and he is in you. So go in that power, in the power of Christ's light, which overwhelms the dark, and obey. Go in that power, the power of Christ's light and love. That's how you know you know. Let's pray.